0: Well, hey, 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 welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares, work harder. What have I got in store for you today? Well, today I have an absolutely epic interview with a fabulous woman who I truly believe is a soul sister of mine in this lifetime. Sometimes I think you meet people who are kindred spirits in a way and very rarely, very, very rarely do I meet someone who truly is like me, who I'd consider to be a soul sister. And I would honestly say that Layla Hormozy, who is my guest today, is one of these women. And she was introduced to me by a mutual friend, Ryan Moran. Uh, thanks, Ryan, for that, by the way. And after interviewing me on his podcast, Ryan said to me, have you ever heard of Layla Hormozy? And I said, no, I never have. And he said, you need to meet. He said, you two are like peas in a pod. You are so similar. And I actually think that you guys would get on so well. So I immediately reached out to her, as I do whenever someone tells me that, you know, I would, you know, really get on with someone. And I said to her, you know, hi, Ryan, and, you know, said that we should meet and, and you know, my name's Kim and blah, blah, blah. And she came back and she was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And I love connecting with new people and we should make time to catch up. And so we actually made uh, a date through our executive assistants. As, as that's how it's done these days, you don't actually pick up the phone and call someone, you have your assistant do it. And so we we made a date to chat on the phone and then it was during a week whenever we were mid-launch and I was just absolutely exhausted. Unfortunately, I had to put her off at the last minute. But um, I said to her, listen, why don't we do a podcast interview? I said, you know, rather than, you know, doing a, a chat or whatever, having a chat, why don't we do a podcast interview? Because I have heard that you have done amazing things in the world. And she was like, yes, okay, let's do it. So let me just tell you a little bit about Layla. So Layla. Is a very extraordinary woman. She had a pretty difficult upbringing, which she will talk about during the podcast interview. And she and her husband, Alex, have built three companies worth eight figures. Each. They did $75 million. I think after five years, now I need to fact check that, but I think the company was started in 2013. And I think five years later, they did $75 million in business with one company called Gym Launch. And they have gone on to bigger and better and bigger and better things. And the clinker in all this is that Layla is only in her late 20s. I think she told me she's 28. And it made me feel so, so, so old and made me feel like I need to go and get my Botox topped up because she was so smooth and wrinkle free. And I was like a Sharpe in the video interview. So, um, anyway, this interview with Layla is just so spectacular. I had no questions. I had done a bit of research on her, but I literally just said to her, let's just riff this. Let's just run with it. Let's just see what happens. And we'll go there. And she said, no, I love that. I love it just being really organic. And we had such an amazing chat. And there was a couple of times during the interview when I actually got like a little bit emotional because I was, you know, I, I was didn't start bawling my eyes out, which I know I have been prone to bawling my eyes out on this podcast in the past. But there were a couple of times when I felt myself almost tears prickling the back of my eyes because what she was saying was resonating so deeply with me and my own struggles and what I have been through and what I had felt. And I truly felt, oh my God, this girl and I are so similar in so many ways. And I just know that you're going to love her. She's one of the most genuinely down-to-earth, wonderful people. And she describes her entire, you know, business and how she built it with her husband and, and you know, and the things that she does in order to, you know, to be more effective in life and be better in life. And, and oh, you're just going to love it. Absolutely love it. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Um, before we get to it, don't forget that if you want to be in with a chance of winning a podcast, sorry, not winning a podcast, winning a program, winning a Sculpted Vegan program, all you have to do is leave a review on the podcast. Uh, What date are we now? We're nearing the end of November. And so we're going to be choosing the winner for November very soon and announcing it on the podcast at the start of December. So if you want to be in with the chance, simply screenshot your review, screenshot it before you click the the post button, because sometimes once you've submitted it, it can disappear into the abyss. So make sure you take a screenshot before you submit it. Send it to me on Instagram at the sculpted vegan and I will choose or we will choose a winner for November. November and announce it at the start of December. But um, after telling you all that, let's just get to the interview where I just know you are going to love Layla. Oh, Layla, so good to have you here. Thank you so much for agreeing to this interview.
1: Oh, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you asking me to come on.
0: Here, do you know, it's so funny because um, we have a mutual friend, Ryan Moran, and it, Ryan said to me, so he, I don't know if you know the backstory. Uh, I talked about it recently. and I ran a masterclass for a new business program we were launching and I called it 12 Months to 1 Million. And then Ryan messaged me on Instagram and he was like, uh, yeah, you're like, you've stolen my book title. And I was like, <gasps> I did not know why I had taking anyone else's book title. Like I nearly had a heart attack. And so it ended up, it could have been something really shitty. And then he wrote back to me and he was like, I'm really sorry. You know, like my ego got in the way. I can see that you didn't because I was able to send him correspondence going, no, I swear to God, I didn't steal anything. And It would be professional suicide for me to steal another entrepreneur's title, you know. So right. uh, we ended up becoming friends then. And then he interviewed me on his podcast and he said to me, oh my God, you remind me of my friend Layla. And I said, really? And he said, oh my God, you guys are so similar. He said, I think that you should, uh, you should definitely reach out to her. And I was like, I will. I'll look her up. So I literally looked you up immediately and sent you a message on Instagram to which you responded. And now here we are doing a podcast interview. That's so
1: cool. I didn't know the entire backstory about the, you, the title thing or anything like that, but he just messaged me and was like, you have to meet her. And I was like, who? And he was like, him. And I was like, who's Kim? And he was like, you'll find out. And
0: I was like, okay. <laughs> he's so funny. Yeah, no, it's great. Like, I, I love Ryan. I think he's fantastic. And I'm so glad that we're friends. And also, I just love meeting kind of other like-minded women, especially ones that he said are, that, you know, are, are apparently like me. So, um, and like I said, before we even started, where I even started recording, like we have, this is the first time we've actually really had a conversation. We we haven't yep. met before. We don't know anything about each other. Well, I've done a bit of background research, obviously, on you now. <laughs> um, we're just going to chat it out because here, I'll tell you why. Um, Even, Whenever I was doing a bit of background research on you, I... Came across you while I was just creeping on your Instagram actually. And then I saw a post that you had put up, which I think you were with ClickFunnels, and it said you had done over 75 million dollars, I think, through ClickFunnels. Is that right? And I was like, oh my God. So what I want to do is talk about a bit about your backstory. Like, who is Layla? Where did you come from? You know, how did you get to be where you are? What is it that you're you're doing and have done in business? And just like, you know, any hints and tips and strategies you can give my listeners who are really into being. I guess, you know, this started out as a fitness podcast, it turned, you know, fitness and bodybuilding podcast, kind of then turned into more of a life coaching podcast. So I'm really <laughs> into what makes you successful. Like what are the character traits you think people need or what character traits have you developed personally that can help you to be successful? So that's kind of the angle that I want to go at with this podcast. But first, I would just love to know who are you? Where are you from? It's like a, a game show, isn't it? Tell me your name. and Where you, where <laughs> you come from? So who is Leila? Who are you? Where do you come from? What's your backstory?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm currently in Austin, Texas, which I am very grateful for to be in Texas out of all the states right now. Um, it's the best state to be in
0: during it coronavirus. definitely is. Uh,
1: voluntary closure of your business right now. So it's a great... Excellent. Very nice. Uh, I come from Michigan. And so that's where I was born and raised, a uh, small town, Portage, Michigan, this part of the Mitten. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I I grew up and... My family, it was like a the typical like middle class America, you know, in the Midwest. Uh, you know, my dad was a teacher. My mom stayed at home. And from when I was very little, I just remember thinking like, this sucks. Like watching everyone in the town, what they did, et cetera. Um, I just knew I never wanted that for myself. And so as soon as I graduated college, which was useless as well, um, <laughs> I went out to California and I went out, I drove out in my, I had like a Honda Prius um, and I packed up all my stuff and I went literally the day after graduation. And I just said, I'm just going to figure something out. I'm just going to get a job. Like I'm, you know, young, I have, I will work hard and I will figure it out. And Mm -hmm. so I had like, I don't know, maybe $4,000 in my bank account. My rent was like 1300 a month in the, cause California is so expensive, Orange County but I just knew that I wanted to get into fitness. And I was like, if I want to get into fitness, I should just go to where it's centralized in the U S which is Orange County. If I can be successful there, then I can probably be successful anywhere else. And so, uh, I drove out there, uh, very quickly realized that in order to be successful in fitness, you don't just have to understand fitness and nutrition and mindset. You also have to understand marketing and sales and business. And so that was the big smack in the face to me because I was like, I just love helping people and I don't care if I make money and I just want them to be healthy like me. And then I was like, oh, I just won't have a job and won't be able to make ends meet if I actually don't focus on anything else. And so very quickly um, started reading all I could about sales and marketing and worked my way up in a couple big box gyms to being one of the top sales reps for basically personal training or semi-private. Then decided that I hated working for a corporation, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> took my clients, went to a small gym. Um, started training them one-on-one there. And then I started doing it online. And so I kind of had half and half at that point. And that was actually when I met my now husband who upon our our first date we met on Bumble, uh, he owned six gyms. And he said, I have this idea for this company. And this is our first date. We're like an hour in. And he's like, you should do it with me. I was like, who are you? (laughs) What do you mean? He's like, well, you're really good at sales and you understand fitness. Like we could totally do this together. And I was like, Listen, I'm like 23. If this doesn't work out, what's the worst case scenario? Like, I end up on my dad's couch. I'm like, that's not really a bad deal. Like, they make food for me and they do my laundry. <laughs> like, yeah. that's better than where I am now. Um, and so I said, sure. And so we started uh, our first company, which was called Gym Launch. And it took about a year and a half of just eating. Can I swear on here? You
0: can say anything you want.
1: Okay. It was just like eating shit for like eighteen months. We were sleeping in motels. We were uh, we went for thirty three cities in eighteen months because essentially what we would do is we would fly out ourselves to a gym, turn on our marketing. We would do the sales. So like I would at one point I was in Hawaii and he was in Maryland and we were both at a different gym and we would sit there and just for twelve hours a day sell people into their facilities we would take the upfront fee and then we would teach them how to fulfill on the back end and they would get the recurrent. Right. Um, You were doing
0: the work for them effectively rather than giving them the tools to do it themselves. You were effectively making them dependent on you rather than making them independent of you. I can see now Ryan, why Ryan said we were going to be good friends. (laughs) I love it. Keep going. Keep going. So
1: that is exactly what it was. And that is why it didn't work. Right. Uh, And so about... Uh, I would say then we, we ended up 18 months ourselves Then we hired a team. We flew them out to do it. We had six sales guys who were flying around the country doing this. One day we were just like, this is horrible. Like these gym owners are actually angry that we've sold so many people into their gyms. They're like, you broke my business. And we're like, we gave you 200 customers. Like, why are you mad? <laughs> I didn't understand back then. Um, and so suddenly we, you know, we realized we had a coach for that whole time because we've always, we invest a lot in you know, personal development. And Which
0: I believe is Alex Charfin. Is that right? Oh uh, yeah, that was actually
1: he he wasn't my first coach, he was like my second. This guy, very interesting story, but uh I don't even want to say his name because it's I wouldn't recognize uh, right. him. <laughs> because he did some weird stuff later. But he was actually from Mexico. Um and he uh he doesn't even speak English, and so it was all translated. It was very interesting. But um we realized that we had to teach them in order for them to own the outcome. And so one day we decided we weren't going to do it anymore. We were like, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're not going to do this. We were actually possibly going to pursue online fitness um, in which I was going to be the face because I'd lost 85 pounds a few years prior. And so my husband was like, I'm great at marketing. I'll make funnels and you build out the program and that's what we're going to do. And so we started doing that and we called up all the gyms that we were supposed to fly out to for the next month. And we told them all one by one, like, hey, we can't do it. We're just, we're done. Refund your money. It is what it is. And they were all like, I'm on my last leg. If you don't help me, then I'm going to go out of business. Mm-hmm. And I remember we're sitting there on speaker and my husband was on talking. He was like, what? And I was like, shit. Um, and he was like, should I just like give them the system? Cause we had our internal training for our team. And I said, we'll, we'll sell it to them. Yeah. And so he was like, yeah, yeah. I'll like, uh, so I can help you, but I will, uh, I'll give you the training. I'm not going to fly out and do it for you. So you don't have to do it all yourself. And everyone's like done. How much? So, I think it went from like being, you know, a couple thousand to like very quickly (laughs) over 10,000 within the eight phone calls we made that day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was actually when the company really was born. And so, then as soon as we did that, it was like wildfire Um, because we knew so intricately what needed to happen for a gym to work. And we'd done it for so long. We knew every detail of everything, Um, not just the strategy, but the tactics and the mindset that was needed. And so, we scaled. very quickly. And that was actually one of the coaches I did meet about three months in. Um, I think at that point we were doing like 350,000 a month and it was the two of us with a VA. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just crazy. Wow. And I met Alex Charfin actually. Yeah. And he was the one who said, he was like, you need to scale this thing. And he was like, have you ever built a team before? I was like, no, I haven't even managed anybody, you know?
0: Um, like, we're just winging it here, flying by the seat of our pants. <laughs> That's why my business so, was built
1: too. Yeah. And it's awesome, right? It's like, it's so thrilling. Um, And that was when he said, let Alex do his thing, which he said is marketing and you do everything else. You build the business. And I was terrified, but it was the biggest growth I've ever gone through. And so I think within 12 months, the business did like 11 million. And then the next year it was like 27 and then 35 and then 50. And it just didn't stop. Um, And now this year I would say for for that business is different because there's COVID and it's a gym business. Um, So this is as fruitful as the prior, but Off of that, we built two other businesses. So then we started a supplement line to give to the gyms to sell through their facilities. Mm -hmm. And then we started a software, um, which basically does, it works leads for local brick and mortar businesses. And so now the software is a 100% separate business. And then the gym business and the supplements kind of sit together.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: That's where we're at now. And so it's been crazy. I think we went from, you know, having never employed anyone before to at the peak, we had like 120 employees. Now we have around 85. Um, and that's, that's
0: unbelievable. What What age are you? If you don't mind me asking you're young,
1: I'm 28,
0: 28. My God, you're like, I'm like 41. I I just keep meeting these people. And I think they're the same age as me. And I think that I must look younger. (laughs) Like, I'm like
1: you look younger than me, like less age. So <laughs> no, I I'm do. Really not, not doing correctly. A
0: sure. lot of Botox. Although meaning me to look like a sharpe At the moment, I said to my husband, I said, "I was like, my forehead is so wrinkly, I look like a sharpe And he was like, "You no, really don't. You're I love fine." It. Um. Uh, here, listen. That is such an incredible story. I absolutely and um, utterly love it. And but I have now. I have some personal questions for you. I'm like, whoa, what do am I want to know? So here yeah. are some questions. Like whenever, so whenever you were building your, whenever you were whenever you were building your team, one thing I always teach about is increasing complexity. I, people say to me, you know, because I've gone from one one business to two business to three businesses, you know, I only started, I, I had never trained in the gym until three years ago. Like when I was 37, I was a yoga teacher and I stepped in the gym at age 37. So I went from never having trained in the gym to owning the world's largest online vegan bodybuilding company in three years from never having oh. trained. And so and people always say to me, you know, oh my God, how did you do it? How did you do it? And one of the biggest things I teach is, how important it is to increase your complexity. So the first thing I started doing because I have four kids and I was a homeschooling stay at home mum. So that's how Alex and I know each other through uh, unschooling because he's a radical unschooler as well, which we are too. So oh, wow. um, I've now I've lost my train of thought. No, I haven't. So increasing complexity. So one of the things I I started to do was outsource the things that I that I started to do only the things that I could do, and that is what I that is what I really begin to focus. That's all I do in the business at the minute. I do the things that only I can do. And if someone else can do something else, then they do it. It's not. And, and that I find has, has been kind of part of my biggest growth because I had so much responsibility being a stay at home mom with four kids. And, you know, I had to find a housekeeper and a private chef and I had to find, you know, like, you know, a personal trainer to train me four days, five days a week and, and all of the different areas, you know, I, I outsourced them as quickly as I could, especially in the business. Is that something that you had to do in order to scale? Because that, that is a huge amount of growth and a huge amount of turnover very, very quickly. Like at any point, did you feel, holy shit, what am I supposed to do here? And how am I going to handle this? Or did you have some kind of plan of action for that growth?
1: Totally. I think what you just described is exactly what I went through. And I think that that's, it's freaking awesome that you did it three years. That's, that's crazy. Mm. Um, It's the same thing. It was, I think that it's, it's a mental block if anything. So I think once you remove the mental block, and I think there's a couple, which is one, I think it's believing that you are the best at everything and therefore you should do everything. Right? And I think that most people can't accept that, especially in the beginning, you're going to be better than pretty much everyone at everything because you've started the business and you just have the holistic perspective others don't have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and many people don't have the patience to train people, like truly train them. And then also do Q&A, which I would say is management.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the other piece that goes along with that is, is ego. I think that people can't get past their ego um, to scale. It's often because I see a lot of people who they have really high turnover. I don't think there's anything wrong with firing people quickly. But when you, you know, fire 11 out of 11 executive assistants or 11 out of 11, you know, director of this, it's, you know, one, you're not picking the right people. And two, it's often, I think a lot of people don't want someone better than them Mm -hmm. doing something because Mm it's a threat, right? And so I think a lot of the times in order to scale, and you probably know this, right? Like, You have to be willing to let other people do things, take the credit and be better than you, which means that you can't have an ego
0: about it. That is so true. And do you have a hiring philosophy? Like, do you have um, something or how do you find good people or have you, because here's the thing. The reason why I'm asking is I am very process oriented. So I like, like you're saying, I love to teach people. uh, I love to give people the tools for growth themselves, like whether it's in bodybuilding, whether it's in business, I don't want to just do it for them or show them how to do it. I want to teach them how to do it and why it's important. So everything yeah. I do, whether it be, even it's something as simple as hiring, I try and break down my process. And like, you know, whenever I hire now, I it's funny, I get Christina, my executive assistant, to do all my hiring. She does the first round of interviews for anyone that we hire because she will know if they don't even make through that first round of interview, if she doesn't like them, I will not like them and they won't even make it to second interview. And people are like, you get your executive assistant to do your hiring for like sometimes for director positions. And I'm like, yeah. uh-huh. And they're like, what? and I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time with someone who I'm, Christina knows me inside out back, to, you know, back to front and upside down. I'm not going to waste my time on someone that I don't even, you know, that I don't even like out of the gate. And so anyway, I try to break down a hiring philosophy and have it very specific and teach her. Here's exactly how I would hire so that she can then, you know, do that herself. Do you have a hiring process for hiring a good team or how does that work for you?
1: Yeah, I think I have a, actually, I have like 35 I've been creating because I have a training and then I'm now creating an updated version of it. And I think it's frameworks, right? So I try to put things, I try to, and I have like 35. And so I'm like, I need to condense them. Um, But basically the concepts and put them into visuals almost like, does it fit into a triangle? Is it a picture? Is it a circle with some kind of cycle? Um, I think that those stick with people and you can teach teams quickly if they can see it visually too. Mm-hmm. And so I think if I were to sum it up though, I think that there's a few things. One, I freaking love that you have Christine do your interviews because I do that with my assistant Yasmin. I'm like, she knows every time. And I'm sure you did it by like, she would watch you do interviews and see exactly how you react. And she's like an extension of you. So exactly. of course you should ever interview. Um, for me, it's hire slow, fire fast. Mm-hmm. So I will allow for the business to have a pain as long as, until I find someone that I am stoked about. Like I have to be excited about them. I think that's the biggest thing. And if I have even a slight hesitation, and I think that it takes a lot of, I I, I honestly think it takes a lot of practice, then I just won't hire them because I know that I will eventually fire them because that hesitation is something I detected during interviewing. And I think that a lot of times, the thing that people have to watch for during interviews is, it's not what someone's saying because they're just rehearsing the things that they think you want to hear. It's what are their facial expressions? What are their pauses? When you throw at them questions that wouldn't be on a normal interview, how do they react? And so I think it's the micro expressions. Like I really think it's reading people. And I think that the better a leader, a CEO, anyone is at reading people, the better decisions you can make, because I think it's like 90% of what people say is often untrue or at least manipulated to some extent. And so it's like, you really have to just pay attention to what their facial expressions are, their tone of voice, their body language on the interviews. Um, I think that's more telling than anything.
0: I agree. So in intuition, I call it, I always say whenever I follow my gut, anytime I've gone against my gut ever, and I've hired someone against my gut, they've never worked out and we've had to fire them quickly every single time. And even my team, my director of operations Jamie, she always says to me, what is your gut saying? <laughs> whenever I'm like yeah. I'm not sure, I don't know. She's like, what is your gut saying? Cuz it's never wrong when it comes to names of programs, when it comes to concepts when it comes to hiring. And I always go, okay, my gut says this. she goes, well, then we'll go with that. Like my team knows so well now don't let him go against her gut because it always backfires on us. And yeah. uh, so I love that so you use intuition. Where did you get so intuitive? Like, where did you learn these skills of being a people person? What was your childhood like? Or what were your parents like? Do you think it's something that came from childhood? I have a terrible habit of asking a hundred questions instead of just one. let <laughs> will tell you that now. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. no, I think it's a <laughs> it legit point. Um, because I think it, it does,
1: I think that there are, I, I did not have a, a great childhood. Um, and I think that a lot of people say, that. I think a lot of people don't have a great childhood because you're a kid, you're just naturally more sensitive. You don't have the defenses of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I grew up, my, my parents were like married and they were happy. And then when I was around nine, they got divorced. Quickly, my mother uh, got into drugs and alcohol and then became essentially an absent mother. And because I was young and I was afraid of what was going to happen if I told my dad what was going on. I lived with her for about six and a half, seven years where she, she would just like disappear. And so I basically raised myself. because She was gone most of the time. She was at a bar with a boyfriend, whatever. Um, and she, I, I, to this day, I don't actually speak with her right now um, because I think it just really took a toll on her. Um, I'm really, I am honestly, Kim, I'm so grateful for that because mm-hmm. it did a couple things. One, I had to raise myself and therefore I am now naturally being in a leadership position makes sense for me. I'm okay having all the pressure on myself. I'm okay making decisions. I'm okay being autonomous. I'm okay making mistakes and failing. Um, and I also think that it taught me, and there was so much of, I think if you grow up and a lot of people, if they've had someone in their family with like any kind of addiction, um, you really learn how to read people. Mm-hmm. There would be days when I remember I would walk up to the house and I walking up to the driveway, I would just know. I was like, she's, I'm going to have to call 911. Mm-hmm. Like she's passed out. And, and like, I don't know if she's going to be breathing. Like I would just have the feeling and I, I mean, I kid you not. It's like I would walk in, and it would that would be what was happened. And it was like, and that was what changed me the most as a person because it, it just I became an adult a lot faster, I think. And then learning to read people, I started then being really at, at a young age around fourteen. I started reading a lot about psychology, about awareness, a lot of Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, like all that stuff. I got into it really early. Um, and same with working out because I just so desperately never wanted to be like that. And I always wanted to be able to help other people not fall into the same tracks that people say in their family had. And I looked at, I remember there was one phrase that was something like, it's your, one of these speeches I listened to, it's like, it's your turn to break the patterns in your family. And I looked at, I was like, nobody in my family has been massively successful. Nobody has, you know, they've all just done what they're supposed to do. And I was like, I want to be an amazing mother, wife, business owner. And that is my goal. And so I remember at a young age feeling that way. And just that was what drove me. And I think that it just naturally led to, if you want to be successful in anything, fitness, you know, running a business, uh, relationships, it's like, you have to just increase your level of self-awareness. Because if you don't know why you do what you do, then how can you change what you're doing? Because you don't know where the source comes from. And it's like, once you solve the source, which I'm sure you know, it's like eating, for example. You know, people don't understand why they're snacking. They don't understand why they overeat. They don't understand why they cave in when they're in social gatherings. If you can find out why you do that, then you can change everything and it doesn't feel hard. And so I just think it's the, I think it is 100% like the most important thing that anyone can invest in is just understanding human psychology.
0: Do you know, honestly, so listening to you, there's a couple of times while you've been speaking, I've actually almost felt myself getting emotional because everything you're talking about, I swear we are twins. <laughs> Except, <laughs> we were like, like... like 12 years apart. Honestly, every, well, eight, actually 13 years apart, everything you are talking about, I am like, shit, this girl is me in so many ways. And I know that my mom had a, an alcohol or... Um, drug addiction, but my parents divorced. They separated when I was seven. It was a really, really painful and messy divorce where they fought over us really badly. My mom left the, ho- the family home because it was my dad's family home that he had always grown up in. So she left. We were in boarding school from age seven. So we spent one weekend with mom, one weekend with dad. My dad married a woman that none of us liked, that didn't like us. Like Between the ages of seven and 12, my life was so painful. And like like you, I never considered what you've said. I I think I became so good at reading people, at reading, especially my stepmom. We had to figure out, is she going to be in a bad mood? Is she going to be in a good mood? Is she going to have a migraine? Is she going to this? Is she going to that? Is my dad going to be angry, upset? What's the mood going to be like? Is it, you know, it was, and also in boarding school, you know, you, I was there from age seven. You're constantly you know, human beings are wired for safety and security. And, you know, at age seven, you're all you're, you're wired for is comfort, safety, and security. So you're constantly looking at who's, who are the teachers that are angry? Who are the teachers that are not? Who's the nice matron? Who's the bad matron? Who's the nice house mistress? Who's the bad house mistress? You're, you know, where, you know, so you're constantly evaluating your behavior. What did I do to cause that? What did I not do to cause, you know, so you become like a real systems thinker, but also like you, I was, I had such a, um, it's such a, it, it's such a hard time. If you like, I had to like my, my middle sister, Carrie, who was older than me, I did this on the podcast the other week and I actually burst into tears and I cried. I didn't realize how painful it had been for me to remember like her crawling, me crawling and hearing her crying at night and having to come down from top bunk into her bed and comfort her. Like I was always the, even though I was the youngest, I was always the strong one in the family and having yeah. to really take on her pain and put mine aside be like, I'm upset. I'm missing home. I'm, this is so painful for me, but I had to take care of her, even though she was older than me. And even going through it and talking about it was just like, it brought up so many memories for me, but it real, I was really examining why am I strong? Why am I the kind of like the, the, the motto for this podcast is nobody cares, work harder. Nobody cares, work fucking harder. Seriously. Like, honestly, pull up your big girl pants and get on with it. And so I think that, 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 so listening to you talk, I'm like, there is something in this, in this, you know, adversity makes us grow as human beings. I try to, you know, on. here's the thing, like, and it's so hard when you have kids, like we have a private chef, we have a full-time housekeeper, we have a weekend housekeeper. My kids are homeschooled. And I see them like my daughter texts our housekeeper at nine, at 1030 at night, she's 10 and goes, Lorraine, on your waiting in the morning, could you please stop and get some oat milk? And then can I have a caramel cappuccino in the morning? And I'm like, Oh no, this is so bad. And Lorraine's laughing and she's like bringing her, her caramel cappuccino in breakfast in the, in bed with her scrambled oh tofu God. that our chef prepared. And I'm like, somebody stop. Fuck me. This is so bad. But then on the other hand, I try and give them as much natural adversity as I possibly can because they do have, I had to replace myself at home. I had to get people to do my job because I'm not there to do it. And even though I said to Lorraine, don't feed them in bed. Don't bring them breakfast in bed. She's like, but I love it. I love taking care of them. I'm like, oh uh-huh so bad. Anyway, I digress. But like, we have so many things in common. But um, so here's what I want to ask you, though. Like, so your teenage years, did you then, did you, did you find during your teenage years, like, were you an entrepreneurial type of person during your teenage years? Did you have a job young? Did you start young? Like, I, I guess I want to really dig into like, what is the mindset that you believe that really, truly makes someone successful, whether that be in bodybuilding and fitness and relationships and life? Like if you could define who you are as a person, what would that, what would that be like? I think,
1: so there's a motto that I aim for, and then there's what drove me prior, right? The motto I aim for now is sharp mind, kind heart. That is what I want to embody. I want to be, I want people to talk to me and be like, she's quick, she's smart. I get why she has business but I also never want to lose my compassion because I think that so many people do as they get more into business. And I can tell you after five years, and I don't even know how many people trying to sue me and come after me. There are days when I, (laughs) I'm like, I just want to kill everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's what I aim for. What I think got me there was I always had so much compassion as a, even as a teenager. And I think that it was, it came from a really pure place because when I was 15, um, the reason I said I stayed with my mom until I was then at that age is because then she, she actually tried to attempt suicide in front of me. So I called the police and then they, it all came out what was going on. And then my dad got custody of me. Um, and I was really angry. And so the anger was what fueled me at first, which was Mm -hmm. fuck you. I'll never be like you. I refuse. I'm disgusted by you. And I will go so far in the other direction, which happened to be success that I will, get in shape when I'm very young. I'm 14. I'm going to the gym every day after, I mean, the dudes who worked out and, you know, whatever were doing sport, they always saw me. I was the only girl there at the gym learning how to lift, just learning how to take care of myself. Um, And I was always studying after school, never school though, always studying mindset and always studying business. And I was just listening to the the people back then who were really popular um, because it was, I was so afraid and angry at what had happened at that point that I wanted to go so far in the other direction. I was like, I just need to grow. I just need to grow. I need to acquire skills. I was just hungry. And I think that there was a flip when I was probably about 19, 20. Um, I'd actually, the year prior I went to uh, college, I went down like a really deep hole because I let that anger really grab hold of me. Um, I got arrested like six times in 18 months. I mean, I was just like, I, I started drinking a lot, um, hanging out with the wrong people. And I, it, it was like the peak of my anger and disgust. And it turned against me. Mm-hmm. And that is was when uh, I had already been in therapy for a while, but I went back to therapy. I found a new therapist and I was with her for like three years. And then out of that birthed, I think what has built me for success, which was no longer fueled by anger, but fueled by the hunger to grow and the, the, the desire to not be a product of my past. Mm-hmm. And instead be an inspiration for others. And so what drove me, especially in the beginning of starting the business was I just want to show other people what's, what's possible mm-hmm. because I never had, and I'm getting like chills thinking about it. I like, I never had that person to show me what's possible. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anyone in my hometown that was successful doing anything close to what I wanted to do. I literally just listened to, you know, Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and, you know, Liz mm-hmm. Brown, all those people. And I was like, I'm going to pave my own path. And as long as I'm getting better and I can inspire other people, then I know I'm on the right path. And that was really what I thought. I think that um, a lot of it is I want to be the woman that I didn't have in my life. I didn't have a mother figure who was uh, worth looking up to, in my opinion. I didn't have that. And though I'm so grateful for what happened and I wouldn't be who I am if she wasn't that way, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, I still think that that is what I've always strived to be is I, I picture sharp mind, kind heart, and just wanting to do for the world the thing that I didn't have, the thing that I felt I lacked.
0: Yeah, I find as well, and you may find this too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I find that sometimes, I I love that sharp mind, kind heart. It makes me think of many people, I was going to say many people underestimate me. And I don't mean that they underestimate me, but I think that many people mistake true kindness and empathy for um, thinking they can... uh, (sighs) Thinking they can either work you or get one over on you. And so I, I'm this, I'm the same as you. Like I'm, you know, quick to, quick to hire, quick to fire. You know, I'm the kind of person, my team hate it. I, Well, I'm not like this anymore. I used to be, I used to be like, you want a job? Great, you're hired. <laughs> and if, then, if they didn't work for it, then I, if they didn't work out, I'd be like, okay, you're fired. <laughs> you know, just, I had no fear of hiring quickly and getting rid of them quickly. But I think that, you know, so sometimes like I act in a certain way. Like we had a thing recently in, our, in my company where we found out that a member... Um, we we perceived that she was doing something shady within the company. We found out that she was doing something shady, a member of staff. Um, And even though she protested it and said that she didn't know, I was like, there's no way you could not have known. You know, ignorance is not... Uh, ignorance is, you know, I did not know. Therefore, I am not responsible does not exist here, <laughs> you know. So oh. you do something, you're responsible for it. You get the consequences. So the minute I find out I fired her instantly that day and my team were like, oh, like this is a couple of years ago. Right. And so they were really shocked and they were like, we always thought you were so nice. I was like, I am. I'm the nicest person in the world. Just don't fucking cross me. Don't steal from me. You steal from me. You're out. <laughs> like there's, I don't care who the fuck you are. You steal from me. You're gone. You know I have principles. So I think that that sometimes people mistake, you know, being kind and compassionate and empathetic and, and all of those things that we are. I'm going to put us together, not we are. <laughs> um, I think that I I think that they mistake it sometimes for they can mistake it for. I don't want to say stupidity. Stupidity isn't the wrong word. You know what I'm saying? It's like they can they can think, think that the weakness. Yeah. Like, like that. It means that like, because usually people who are really sweet and lovely and kind and empathetic and wonderful to work for are usually get, get it, taken advantage of. And I'm like, you're not gonna take advantage of me. We have very strong ethics in our company, very strong. And we abide by those ethics. And I will not let anyone cross the line. You cross the line, you're right. Totally. So. Do you think, so here's my theory behind empathy. And I'm curious if you think that this
1: is, is what it is, is I think that in order to be able to be an empathetic person or boss, you have to have very strong boundaries. And so what it is is that you can trust people and you can be kind. You can be all those things as long as they do not cross these boundaries, which you clearly set. And so it's weird to people when they see that, one, that you can easily get rid of people, but it's simply just like they cross the boundaries. So now there's no longer any empathy. It's like you cross crossed the boundary, we're done. Yes. But people who don't have strong boundaries can never be empathetic. They're cold hearted and they're cold because they're too afraid because they can't hold their own boundaries.
0: Yes, a hundred percent. And I always say, you know, don't lie to me. Fair enough. If you, if you lie to me and there was no destruction caused and you lied to me because you were fearful, well, then let's talk about that. But you cheat me, you steal from me, you, you know, you, you cross those boundaries, you're, you're gone. And we keep the same, um, for in our Facebook groups, our Facebook groups are celebrated all over the world as the most supportive, loving, kind, uplifting Facebook groups that people have ever been part of, our community is so strong simply because we have a rule within the Facebook groups of, you know, there that anyone who crosses the line gets removed. Like they get a kind of, they get put on post approval. And then if they continue to be nasty or vindictive or any of the things that are just not real, they just get removed and people are really shocked and they write to our customer service and they're like, how dare she remove me from the Facebook group? We're like, this is my group. I make the rules. I put out the cookies and the, you know, and well, the wine and the cheese, the vegan cheese. And you cross that line, you're out, baby. Like, I don't, I don't care. You know, there's no sob story here that gets allowed. You know, you're a nasty, vindictive person. You're gone. And so we have very strong ethics, very strong rules. And I'm like, while you're here, it's lovely, but like, don't shit on me or you're gone. <laughs> you know, we should you say, so it's just about having really strong boundaries. But I think as a woman, sometimes as well, it's harder in the business world, I would love to know your view on this. So as a woman competing in a man's world in fitness, most of the hate that I get, and I get a lot of hate, a lot Mm. of hate because I'm not afraid to stand up and and speak my mind, you know, and I'm not afraid to to be who I am in the world. And so that that brings up a lot of people's issues because I have very strong opinions on things. And so, but uh, most of the hate that I get, interestingly, is from the men. I get attacked by men. Other male fitness trainers. And, um, and I always find that really interesting. But I think it's because one, I'm making more money than most of them. Two, I actually have more muscles than most of them. And, you know, and I, I've been able to do a lot of things. I'm competing in adverticom as in a man's world. Have you found that true for yourself?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that more of what I've seen is dismissive. Um, you know, I've had. I've been on business calls where someone has referred to me as, oh, honey, you're just like the secretary, right? You know, just demeaning things like that. And if it's really funny as I was just reading a book about this and it was saying the worst dynamic is a woman in power and a man who is in less power. Those men have the most heightened secure insecurity and envy. That's the most envious a man can be is when they see because they hate the woman because they think, why do you have that position that I do not? And it makes them feel so insecure that they hate her more than a man in power.
0: Wow. And I do believe a lot of it is social conditioning as well. My husband and I do a lot of relationship work together and separately. We both have coaches. That, um, we actually have the same coach that we work with and we do a lot of uh, joint sessions. Whenever there's an issue comes up in our marriage, we, we do a joint session and we talk, talk it over with her. But we also do separate sessions um, separately. Do you and Alex have something to like that? Do you guys work hard in your relationship?
1: We do. Um, we did a ton in the beginning. And so uh, we don't have, we had somebody that we were coaching with and they stopped doing it actually. And I haven't had someone since, it's been like a year. Um, but we will read books together and then we'll discuss them and then talk about that. And we're just, you know, what's really funny is that the best piece of advice that we ever got was nev- there can never, you have to clear the space between the two of you. It can, ne- there cannot be one thing left in that crack. Um, and so it's really just, if we feel it, we have to say it. And the thing is, is that, that doesn't work for a lot of people because they mm-hmm. don't understand emotions. And that sometimes people are just fucking irrational. Like sometimes I'm just being a fucking crazy bitch. Like that's all it is. Yeah. And I'm like, listen, I'm being fucking nuts. I understand, but I feel this
0: way. He's right. like, really? I'm like, yeah,
1: you know. Yeah. Fuck that person or I hate you right now, right?
0: Um, I sent my husband a message last week uh, and it was like the wrong time of the month when I sent him a <laughs> message. And it's, I started with, okay, so I recognize that every single month at this time, I bring up something in our relationship that's bothering me. So I own that first and foremost, but I still think that this is bothering, still think this is something worth discussing because it's something I've noticed. And I think I just bury it for the rest of the month because like, we don't see each other as much as I would like because I work so much. And so I'm like, you know, so I don't want to bring it up, but I just feel that it needs addressed, you know? So I think that owning the fact that you are irrational or that you're, you know, that you're pre-menstrual or whatever, I think that, you know, it doesn't mean that it's not an issue, but owning and recognizing that issue is so true. And I think just most, people aren't at cause this is what i teach a lot on the podcast how to be at cause with your emotion how to you know see it have a stimulus response pattern a stimulus happens ryan does something says something acts in a certain way and that's that that stimulates a reaction to me where i get angry or scared or fearful and so it's about owning that slowing down the process there's actually a great quote that i used in my ted talk and i said um uh, freedom lies in the capacity to pause between stimulus and response. And I always love that. And I think it's a Jim Rohn quote, actually. And he said, you know, it's that that's where your freedom lies. It's like, oh, wow, I'm having a reaction. So rather than respond, or sometimes I find myself in the middle of responding to Ryan, like last week in the gym, I got angry with him about something. And I was like, and I got myself into a right wrong with him. And then I was in the right wrong. And I went, oh, oh, oh. And I stopped and I went, oh, shit, I'm having a right wrong. And he went, you don't fucking say. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I think I was angry before we went on the shoulder press. And I think I, that's what I need to figure out. And I was like, okay, so I'm really sorry. I'm going to stop. But it takes a huge amount of courage. And like, you feel like such a dick, you know? You're like, oh God, I'm such a penis. Like, I can't believe I was in the middle of it. And like, you know, you know all your feelings of shame come up and whatever and seeing that being less, seeing that as less than. But like, I love, uh, you know, I, I, I love all that mind- I love all the psychology behind it, which you obviously do too. And you've studied psychology. Is that right? When you were like all the way, not studied in school, but like being interested in psychology?
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of my, a lot of the people I surround myself with, that's what they're into too. I actually should introduce you to some of them. Like I have uh, one of my good friends, Brooke Castillo, she's a life coach. Uh, And then my friend, Trevor Cashy, he's, um, he has a nutrition company, but all he talks about is behavior change, stimulus response, like the little triangle and all that. I just, I think that what you're saying is so incredibly correct because I think that the issue is that most people just never learn how to do the pause between. It's the same with overeating, right? Most people feel hungry and therefore I must eat. You don't have to eat because you're hungry. You have plenty of fat on your body. You'll be fine, right? But they feel like, well, because I'm hungry, I should eat. It's like, well, not really. Um, <laughs> and I think that the best thing, I, I don't remember where I heard the quote, but it was like, oftentimes the best response is no response to stimulus. I agree. I agree. So, I think that uh, I've had decisions I've had to make lately, just in the year of 2020, and it's like, just actually not going to do anything about it. Because what's, what's going to happen if I do anything about some of these things that I truly have no power over, right?
0: Right. right. I agree. And sometimes more destruction is caused whenever you actually deal with it than, than when you don't. Tell me about goal yeah. setting. Do you, are you a goal setter? Do you like to set goals for yourself?
1: Yes. I like to show, uh, set Well, like for the companies, you know, we set quarterly goals and then we set, you know, MBOs or KPIs for everyone's roles. So that's really important to make sure that you're running efficiently, as I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But for myself, yes, I think in terms of, I usually look at it with three buckets, which is just health, wealth, and um, relationships. And so this year, for example, um, you know, the goal, the main focus is actually for us relationships because the year prior was just so grinding it the four years prior, which so focused Mm -hmm. on actually health and wealth um, that I said, I want to focus more on, I need to put more focus on relationships. And so spending more time uh, together, that was not talking about work because we work together um, and then having more friends. And that was such a game changer for us because for four years, I don't think I saw anybody except for maybe every month, one person, maybe. Um, It was just kind of like working in the basement, just like building this thing. Um, and then with, you know, health, uh, I always have a coach for nutrition and for my training. And so I always do that. And then for wealth, we have multiple mentors that we have. And so I think, yes, I set goals. And a lot of times I, I like to have somebody who holds me accountable to them in each one of those sectors.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love
1: that. And I think that for relationships, it's good to have, be transparent about your goals with your spouse or with your friends. Like what are, what are your goals with our friendship? I think that's really important too. It's something that people don't often talk about. But I feel like as you're an adult, like you have kids and a husband and you have this business that's booming, you probably have to have different kind of friendships than you did five years ago.
0: Yeah. Like none, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> like none. <laughs> don't my, friends, my old friends from, from the past are always, but you know, but I'm okay about it. I'm so clear about it. My friends from the past, you know, who, who knew me before I was running the business and whatever. You know, will sometimes say to me, "I never see you anymore. Like I'm, you're never around." And I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, but I just don't have. This is so important to me right now. You're important to me too, but I'm, this is more important. You know, like I have four kids, and I they require you know time and attention from me, and and I, I work a lot, and so whenever I'm not working and I'm not spending time with Ryan, then I. I spend time with my kids and that's what I do all weekend. I don't work on the weekend when I can help it. And I very rarely work on the weekend actually. And I just spend all weekend with the kids, like devoted 100% time where we skate and we swim and we shop and we play and we go, you know, go-kart racing and we do all of the stuff that they want to do. But um, unfortunately, some what has to give is time with friends, you know, and that's, and, I, and I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. But I, that's why I was asking about the goal setting. I think it's so important to set clear boundaries. I think too many people, especially You know, a lot of women in my networks, um, and I'd love to teach this on the podcast about it's so important to have goals in every single area of your life, like uh, not even goals. But what I try and do is separate out into what does success mean for me in this area? You know, we don't send our kids to school and we do radical unschooling. So we don't have the benchmark of, you know, grades in subjects or success or, you know, valedictorian or being, you know, over here at school prefect or getting on sports teams. We don't have those as measure as metrics for success. And so whenever (laughs) you remove those metrics, one of the biggest questions I get is, well, what's going to happen when they're, 12? Oh, how are they going to get qualifications? Or what's going to happen when they're, you know, my oldest is 15 now. What's going to happen when he's 18? And I just go, I don't know. And they're like, well, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Like, I don't have the answers. You know, I'm okay with not having the answers. I'm okay with being flexible and seeing it as an experiment. And and for me, my goal for my kids isn't they're going to get, you know, 10 A's and, you know, and a degree and whatever. For my For my kids, it's like, are they you know, do they have a, an entrepreneurial mindset? Are they self-sufficient? Can they read and write and, and do math? Do, can they learn how to manage money? Like my 15-year-old is starting his podcast. And this week oh. on, on he's actually a, an international gamer. He's one of the best um, Bowser players of Super Smash Bros. in the world because he's logged over 6,000 hours of play. He's only 15. He only just turned 15 in <laughs> November. So on Thursday- oh, yeah, on Thursday, he's doing his first live masterclass. And he's teaching this specific skill. And I have been coaching him on, you know, on all the different aspects of it and showing him how to hit pain points and how to market it and how to, you know, do giveaways and how to teach and how to structure it. And he has his whole structure. And that's what he's doing on Thursday. So I'm like, well, for me, that's a pretty good measurement of success, you know, and So and are they happy? Are they joyful? Do they live every day? Are they, you know, stress-free? Can they evaluate situations? Can they try on their emotions and understand, you know, how they, you know, their value in the world, how they react to situations. These for me are all measurements of success. But I think so many people haven't actually evaluated what is success for me in this area? What is success for me financially? What is success in my relationship with my husband? Uh, That's a big one for me. What constitutes success? Uh, But also knowing him so deeply, what's his value on money and what's my value on money? And anytime we have like a, he's a saver and I'm a spender, you know? And so how can we make sure both of our values are upheld and met and are, are, are made important in the marriage so we both feel Like our values are being met, but yet we're moving forward together in terms of, you know, money or whatever. And that's why I was asking about goals. I was wondering, do you, I think that most successful people I meet have some kind of goal. You must get this all the time. People say to me, Kim, how much cardio should I do? And I go, well, what's your goal? And they go to lose weight. And I'm like, well done. Really, really precise. <laughs> that's a great goal, you know. I'm like how much weight and how long? Is it scale weight? Is it body fat? Is it like you know, can you be a little more precise with your goals? And so I that's why I was interested in like the precision that uh, that you get because you obviously teach this. You teach it to gym owners, do you? Like goal setting and is that part of what you guys teach?
1: Yeah, I teach it uh, to the the people on both sides, so the software and to the gym owners, it's really just how do you set goals? I think that we talk a lot about personal goals and then we talk about um, business goals. And I think that business goals are, um, I think you're a little on the safer side if you kind of look at other businesses that are similar to yours and set similar goals. Whereas I think that people then apply that same theory, which I'm not saying it's right because I don't think it is. But I think when someone's first starting in business, they don't even know what they don't know. So they do just set goals that other people, they're arbitrary. Um, But I think in personal, I think it's just like, if you look at like the law of conformity, right? Everyone just, wants to do what someone else is doing. Mm-hmm. They see someone else successful and what they they just don't even take into consideration that they're a completely different person. I mean, you know, it's like, what are your genetics? Like you're half the people, on, I don't even know how many people will never look like you. They won't even look close. Even if they get in the best shape of their life, they'll look nothing like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it's also context. Most people just, they're so out of touch. So I'll give you an example, right? And I think that most people are out of touch with themselves and therefore they cannot apply context to setting goals. And I'll say this because I go and get massage. And I said, I think that my, um, what are they called Your limbs, my lymph behind my knees are inflamed. They feel inflamed. Mm -hmm. And this lady looked at me and she was like, how the fuck do you know that the lymph behind your knees are inflamed? I said, she goes, well, you clearly, you work out a lot, right? And I was like, yes, I have a good mind-body connection. I know what's Mm -hmm. going on. I have a lot of fluid. My ankles feel a little swollen, like what's going on here? And she was like, oh, you have a lot of scar tissue built up here. It must be from, you know, whatever. And she said, "He would just be shocked. She's like, I have people come in and they've got hematomas and they've got, you know, I had a woman come in with a sprained ankle and didn't know it. She's like, people just don't feel it because they're not thinking about their body. They're not in, in connection with it. I think the same applies to every other area of your life. People Mm -hmm. aren't, they're not. And the reason is, is because most of the times, if you're that in tune with it, you see all the problems that you've been ignoring for so long, Mm -hmm. which is very scary because then you have to confront them. And then you realize how far you actually are from those goals that you so desperately want to meet.
0: Right, right. And also fears as well. I love what you said. Like, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I'll, I'll be able to identify very, very, very tiny changes within my body simply because I'm very, very body aware. But I think that I, I, I talk a lot about children. I've studied a lot of child psychology because I have four children. So I'm the kind of person like, if I'm going to have a child. Well, I'm just not going to have a child. I'm going to study everything about the child and the developing brain and the effect of languages on the developing brain and brain synapses and stimulus response patterns, and I'm going to raise the best possible human that I can because that's the yeah. way I do things. So I studied uh, children a lot, and I also then, from studying myself a lot and working a lot on myself, have realized that you know my whole belief structure was built when I was a child. So everything that I react to now, everything that I'm upset about i I can always trace back to a time that it reminds me of in my childhood, so you know where I kind of made that connection if you like that stimulus response pattern and so i I think that many people are very disconnected because of a lot of fear. I think that many people are are brought up with very, very painful. Um, childhoods, very painful memories, very painful things that happen to them. They're punished, they're shamed, they're, you know, controlled a lot by parents, by teachers, or they're put in situations like we were, you know, where it's very, very, very difficult for a short space, you know, for a long time or a short space of time. But I think that whenever you either have like some kind of integration or perceptual shift that then makes you Act differently. I was the same as you. I was so defiant for so long. I got into drugs and alcohol and really terrible men. <laughs> and yeah. you know, and I was just like and I was arrested. I was just so bad. I was my mother always goes, you know, God, you were such a bad teenager. And I felt like saying to her, Well, you didn't parent me growing well as a teenager, actually. I had a lot of free time, you know. Uh, there's responsibility on both sides here. Um thank God my mother doesn't listen to this podcast. So <laughs> but it's uh, I think that a lot of times we're so disconnected because we carry so so much pain and trauma with us, you know, from childhood. And I think that, you know, Brene Brown says it really well. She says we're the most, you know, medicated, in debt, overweight, you know adult cohort since the, since race began because we're stuffing our feelings continually with food with shopping with you know with stress whether we're working with spending we're constantly stuffing our feelings so we're so disconnected and the more connected we become to ourselves the more at cause we become the more we start to recognize what triggers us and take responsibility for that it's the only thing that's going to make you successful. I coach entrepreneurs every day in my million dollar mentor group. And I just constantly see this disconnect where they just cannot dig deep and find those emotions and those memories and those feelings that are necessary for sales and marketing. They just want to know the system, teach me the emails and teach me the sales pages and just, just give me the system. I'm like, I can teach you the system, but if you don't know how to plug it, plug you into the system, knowing what to do is completely useless. You can't, you know, you can't know what to do if you don't have the emotional strength to do it. And so that's one yes. of the areas I'm so passionate about, which is why I love hearing you talk about it because it seems that it's very common amongst other entrepreneurs.
1: I think it is. I think that anyone who's, and I mean, you know it because you also, it often gets you started, right? Is there's some level of awareness. And then what you realize is that those who don't have it, and this is what I've, I've seen, we've worked with probably, I think 3,700 gyms now. Wow. The ones who maintain success are always those who are more aware. Those who do not maintain success are those who say, how do I do it? They go do it. And then when something goes off plan or something goes wrong, outside factors, they have no idea how to change it, how to make it go back on track. And then they say, I'm going to blame everybody else except for myself.
0: Yeah.
1: So I think it's just, there's common, uh, there's common traits for success and there's also common traits for failure. Mm-hmm. I think not understanding the reasoning behind anything is going to be why someone fails.
0: I agree. It's the difference between an entrepreneur and an, an employee mindset. I, I actually taught that as a masterclass last week. Like, are you an employee or are you an entrepreneur? The, the employee wants to know, give me the exact system, exactly what to do, tell me exactly how to do it in the exact order. And then and they want to follow the exact plan. Whereas an entrepreneur goes, tell me how to do it. and I'll go figure the rest out myself. And then that was what yeah. makes them more flexible. It makes the learning deeper. The learning is more, you know, there's two ways human beings learn de- deductively or inductively. And I find that when they learn deductive, du- deductively, which is like, here's the plan, follow it versus inductively. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, work the plan myself and figure shit out as I go along and, and, you know, and hope that it works. That is, you know, failure is such an important part of success. And I think so many people are afraid to fail. And then when they do fail, they feel shame or upset or whatever it is. And then they, it stops them in their tracks, you know, they just, they can't move forward. But the ones who are successful are the ones who can accept failure as part of the journey and be flexible in their approach and, and grow, you know, it's, it's so wonderful to hear you say it. What are your plans for the future? I can't believe we've been talking for an hour. I'm like, Oh my God, I can like talk for two hours. Oh, <laughs> what, what, what are your plans for the future? Like where, where, where to from here? What's your next stage and your next steps?
1: Um, the future for me, my focus right now is really, um, on a couple of things, which is our software company growing that, um, but also looking at growing, you know, it's really interesting. I think there's fame and there's money and there's different ways that people measure success. And so for us, we, for a long time said that we wanted to make money and have an impact without having to be famous. And so we've done that. And now I think that we see that there's an advantage to having both. Mm. And so, yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, we're looking at how we can expand our reach in the next year and how we can, you know, then use that reach to honestly just add value. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it, and if people, you know, use our company, so be it, it definitely wouldn't be for majority of the people that would listen to any of our stuff or watch our content. But I think for both me and my husband, that's something that we want to do more of. Um, it's just giving back and putting ourselves out there more and more in the spotlight. I think that's a focus in terms of business. Um, and obviously I'm operating the software. So growing that is, you know, a, a big thing for me. I love the team we have over there. Um, and then, I think you know a lot of. If I'm being really frank, a lot of our plans kind of got pushed sideways because of everything that's happened this year, you know, with coronavirus. Coronavirus. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, <Coronavirus. laughs>
0: make sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like personal goals are very different now. So I'm focusing way more on uh, my health goals, relationship with my husband, and the business. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's the year of expanding our reach. That's really what it is in a many different ways. And I think that that's that's kind of the theme for this next year.
0: I love that. I always talk about money and, and I always say to people, I want to be the richest person I know. And they're like, You really shouldn't say that out loud, Kim. I'm like, why not? Because I know that I'm I'm one of the good ones. And um, let me tell you, I want to have as much money, as much fame as I possibly can, because I can reach more people that way and I can change more lives, you know. I have people writing to me every day saying, you know, Kim, your program has changed my life. It's changed my relationship. It's changed my body. It's changed how I interact with the world. It's taught me discipline, consistency. It's taught me so many things about myself. And I'm like, well, the more people I can reach, the more lives I can change, the more I can teach people, the better the world will be. And more, and people always say, well, I, I don't want to earn too much money, just a little bit. I'm like, why? Why don't you just a little bit, like earn as much as you can, and then you can you know, <laughs> spread your message wider. But, you know, money doesn't, you know, yes, it gives you nice clothes and nice experiences, but it also gives you the more opportunity and more votes in the world. You know, the more money you have, the more votes you can cast for what you want to see in the world. Imagine if more good people, you know, I always, I always use the, the, the I liken it to, I heard it once, or read it in a book years ago, and it's, it's not a very good analogy to use for Americans. I know, and I've said it before, and people are like, oh, shouldn't say that. But it's more right. like, um, I, like, I always say, do you, like, if you think about terrorists, right, terrorists in the world, Ter- do you think to- terrorists are highly motivated to get as much money as they possibly can? People are like, uh, well, yeah. And I'm like, why? So they can cause mass destruction. Well, imagine if on the other side, the the good people were as motivated as the terrorists to get as much <laughs> money as they possibly could. You know, it's like you, I love that. It's so true, though. I'm like, you know, and I always say, to people get over yourself. Stop like playing it small and caring what people think. We call it W WPT in our group. Like, who gives a fuck what people think? Seriously, you know. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I'm all for you. I'm love like, build it. your brand, be better known, spread your message. Like, you need to be on stage. You need to be doing podcasts. You need to be, you know, spreading more of your message and and reaching people on a much deeper level. Because that's what people are crying out for at the moment. They're crying out for meaning, Leila. I find people are crying out for connection, for meaning, for a true for community. You know, I, I think social media is an amazing thing. Like we give all of our kids all of the technology. They have no screen time. There's no like none of that in our house. But but similarly, we teach them that, you know, human beings just crave connection. And it doesn't matter where that connection comes from, but you need to. I just think I, that's, that's my message. I want to spread more of that in the world. And when you focus on that, people always say, why have I been successful? Because I just focus on my people. Just focus on my people, just giving them the best possible experience that I can give them. And then it spreads and they grow, you know, it grows. It's not sales and marketing then, it's just serving people. It seems like you, you have a similar, similar mindset. It's,
1: it totally is that because if you truly believe in what you're doing and like you're saying, then you want to market the shit out of yourself. And you want to sell everyone possible because you know that it's helping them. Yeah. And if people tell you not to do something like that, it's just because, again, just, they just feel insecure about themselves because yeah. it, it may be it against what society would like you to do, right? Because people mm-hmm. want you to stay small, they yeah, don't want you to have the
0: power. Yeah. It's I love so it. So true. Yeah. It's so true. But we need more good people in power. <laughs> so yeah I'm on a mission people are
1: real you know what I love about your stuff is that you're just freaking real you're yourself and that's why I saw that I was like that's why Ryan was like you guys would like to talk because this is no bullshit
0: no 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 no. and and that's that is what people say to me like we get thousands of reviews on the podcast and people say love Kim she's I love her no BS attitude that is the biggest thing people say about no BS attitude and she's totally real and it makes me go are most people fake? Like, are they, because yes. i me. And then I get really like, are most people fake? Do they not, you know, do they, are do they not, are they not real? You know, I can't, I, it was confused me for a long time. I do think it is an American thing too. And I'm not against America. I love Americans. Like they're my best friends, but I find in America when I was there, I told the story recently on a podcast where somebody said, um, I whenever I was in America, I, I went into a pharmacy and I went up to the, the counter and I set my stuff down. She went, she went, hey, how are you? And I went, oh, I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? And she was like, and she kind of blinked and looked at me. I was like, and we kind of stood and looked at each other. And she was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And then we had this really awkward conversation. So I was like, that was weird. So I said to my friend later, I was like, I told her the story and she was like, oh yeah, whenever she said, hey, how are you? She didn't actually expect you to respond. And I went, well, why did she ask it then? She was like, it's just how we're trained. Hey, how are you? That's, that's what you do. It's customer service. And I was like, Oh, and so then I said, Whereas in Ireland, if you say to someone, Hey, how are you? It's because you genuinely want to know how they are. <laughs> and so, as the same as the someone else in my one of my American friends told me that if you don't say you're welcome when someone says thank you, it's considered rude. And I was like, it's considered rude. And she was like, yeah, if someone says thank you, you have to say you're welcome. And you're taught like, you know, and I don't know whether you find that or not. But all these like weird things. I'm... So then I began to think, oh, maybe because there's such whenever I go to America, like everything is like, hey, hi, they're so nice and sweet and lovely. Whereas yeah. in Ireland, we're just like, we're Ryan, my husband and I, I swear I'm going to let you go in a second. My husband and I went to this event one night. it was a black tie ball here in Belfast. And we went up to the, it was in a really nice hotel. And we went up to get a drink and he said to me, you know, what do you want to drink? I said, vodka tonic. And so (laughs) Ryan went up to the counter and the guy behind the bar came over and he went, using's getting. And Ryan was like, using's getting. That means, are you getting, which means, can I get you a drink? Is somebody serving you? That's what I mean. Using's getting. And Ryan was like, only in Belfast would they come over and go "Usings getting. That was how the barman greeted us. "Usings getting. And Ryan goes, "Uh, no, no, uh vodka tonic and a pint of beer or whatever." i was just like, "Customer service in Belfast is so bad." So I definitely think there's a happy medium, but I find that, you know, sometimes whenever I go to America, it feels very forced, you know, it doesn't really feel genuine sometimes, and maybe that's why the Americans always say to me, "Kim's so real." Because here in Ireland, they're all like me. We just, really? Yeah. We it's just say Ireland. it like it is. Yeah. Here, come down. It's like,
1: yeah. Yeah. Here it's like rehearsed. Like yes. people are just like saying what they think other people want to hear yes. rather than what they actually think.
0: That's what I find. That's what I find. So maybe we need to go on a mission to change them. I agree more with real. That. Yeah, I think so. Um Layla, this was absolutely amazing. Can you please tell all of my listeners where they can find out more about you? Because they are definitely going to want to. <laughs>
1: Uh, I have a. I, I don't put much effort behind it, but I have an Instagram. Uh, it's just at Layla N Hormozy. So I'll send it to you, so it can be. But we'll like
0: put. Yeah, no, I have your Instagram. Yeah, we'll, yeah. All of the it's... all of the links will go in the show notes as well, so um, they can just click click the show notes. Uh, but it's also nice to hear it as well. And then your uh, your businesses. You want to give them a shout out as well, especially your new software company, which you're. Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, that one is uh, useallen.com. dot So it's it's a lead nurture software for anyone who has an agency or a business that they want the leads worked. And then Gym Launch, um, that's just gymlaunch.com if anyone wants to go there. And our supplements are prestigelabs.com So I'll, I'll make sure they're all tagged and they're all in my Instagram too.
0: Beautiful. Well, we will, don't worry, we will find them all and, and put them all in the show notes and this will be epic. Um, Layla, this was so right. wonderful. I love chatting to you. I hope that this is maybe the first of many podcasts. I would definitely love to have you back if you, and we'll like take a specific subject and like and dive deep into it and I break it all it. down.
1: I would love to. I like talking with you. So, I would oh,
0: love to. I love talking with you too. It's it's wonderful. I've I could talk to you all day. But I'm going to say bye for now, and um, we will definitely have you back in the podcast. And thank you so much. Thank you, uh, and
1: have a good Thanksgiving.
0: Oh, oh yes, it's Thanksgiving on Thursday. We don't celebrate it here, but. Oh, I'm going to celebrate in spirit. I'm going to celebrate in Happy spirit. Happy Thursday. American followers. Happy Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> and also being vegan, you know, it's not, it's a bit of a taboo subject the old Thanksgiving. <laughs> they call it like, I'm not, I'm not one of those vegans. Um, but I know that a lot of vegans have a lot of issue with it, as they should, because turkeys are murdered. Okay. I'm, I definitely should go now <laughs> before I do myself a <laughs> Okay. Leila, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tim. Okay. Bye. Oh, wasn't she just wonderful? Oh my God, I just absolutely adored her. We actually stayed on and chatted afterwards for about another 30 to 45 minutes. We just talked and talked and talked and talked. We exchanged numbers. We exchanged contacts. I was like sending her to my best people. And we have decided that we are firm friends and we are 100% staying in touch. And I just love this woman. So make sure that you check her out, Um, Leila Hormozy. L-E-I-L-A Hormozzi H-O-R-M-O-Z-I Check her out on Instagram Um, We have put all of the links To her various businesses To her Instagram To everything that we talked about In the show notes And so you can go there And check everything out And if you are a gym owner And you want to check out Their program Gym Launch Then you should definitely Check that one out too Uh, Apparently it's absolutely amazing As you heard her saying People were complaining They were sending her too many She was sending them too many customers In the beginning Which um, sometimes can be as overwhelming is too little customers, let me tell you, because then you have to serve all these people. But it's always a good problem to have. Too many customers, definitely a good problem to have. And of course, then whenever coronavirus fucks off and we all start going back to gyms again, that could be a great program that you could use to really catapult your business or your gym if you do indeed have one. So all that's left for me to say is thank you so much for listening. As usual, I appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you enjoyed Leila as much as I did and I will chat to you next week on another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Have a wonderful week wherever you are and a happy Thanksgiving because I always forget about Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving if you are in America and this is um, your Thanksgiving holiday. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a wonderful day and I will chat to you all next week on another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Bye for now.